deep thoughts. Hello friends, I am your host, Melissa Schwar, a Bible-believing biblical counselor. This podcast is here to help all women keep on faithfully pleasing the Lord, to help the hurting heal, and to answer your specific Bible or counseling questions. So let's get into today's topic. Hello, welcome back to this series on facts versus the Bible. And today I'm going to be talking about DNA. And I just want to say up front that I received a comment that said, asked a question and I'm going to give them, you know, the benefit of the doubt that they weren't being sarcastic. Maybe they were really wondering if I could be honest as an individual. Um, In reference to this series that I have showed a lot of information that comes from an apologetic standpoint maybe with the assumption that I have never studied the other side of the picture and that is an incorrect assumption I have read uh, Charles Dawkins entire like 800 page book on the God delusion I have looked at the other information about the science behind the origin of life and origin of species. I'm not ignorant of the the ideas and the arguments that support that. I will say that when I was speaking to my daughter about um, the first and second law of thermodynamics and how energy can't be created and where did that original energy come from and somebody had said, well, we get our energy from the sun, and then you just have to say, but where did the sun get its energy? And from where did the sun begin? And then you just keep following that logic and you will come to this question about DNA. And I believe it's important to understand that if somebody comes to you and says, you're just getting your information from apologetics, If I hadn't read the other side, the question still remains, is what I'm saying factual? And is what I'm saying accurate? And is what I'm saying, can it be disproven scientifically? It doesn't really matter the source of where you gain information. It just matters if if your information is testable and conclusive and accurate. So I just want to put that out there. Science is seeking truth based on observation of facts. And that is what I'm presenting today. So if you have a problem with these facts, I would love to hear information that you share based on facts, if you can follow the logic to its end. But I believe if you do follow that logic to its end, it's gonna come back to this question that there are three components to the origins of life, matter, energy, and information. And there are theories of where matter, from where matter derived. Maybe the idea of where energy might have come from, but certainly not a sound theory for where information originated. It can be stated without fear of correction that Darwin's theory of natural selection did not address the question of how life could have originated from non-living matter a simple cell protoplasmin. How could life have originated? And it actually assumes that the very, I'm sorry if you can't see this, if you're listening, but on video, you just imagine a tree and at the very, very base of the tree in origin of species, 
you will see that he already begins with the protoplasmin. And then he assumes that over millions of years through minute microscopic changes and adaptations to one's environment that for survival in the environment, species were created, species were changed, species were evolved, but never was the question of where did the protoplasmin originate? That was never addressed, never answered, is always based upon the assumption that there was life. And there have been many studies since then. And as I stated in the very first video in this series, that facts are pieces of information that if you destroyed all of the books and all of the studies that we have now on a topic, that just using the ob observable science around us, we would come up with the same conclusions. And if you did destroy Darwin's book on the origin of species, knowing what we know now about cellular biology, the complexity of cellular biology, irreducible complexity, and the sheer information found in DNA, the instruction manual of life, which they didn't have when Darwin wrote that book, would we come up with the same conclusion that a mere protoplasmin could produce this without questioning where did that protoplasmin come from? So in the 1920s, with the progress of microbiology and the complexity of one single cell, the study of chemical evolution began to answer the question of where did life begin from in a natural sense? How could life have evolved, evolved from simple chemicals through a purely natural process? That's what they were trying to answer. Purely natural meaning there is no supernatural um, outside interference or creation uh, because they don't want to recognize that there are some religious implications to intelligence. But Dean Kenyon wrote a theory of biochemical predestination that he himself later proved was a false theory. But when he wrote this book on biochemical predestination, it became like this was the book that was in the colleges. This was the book that was teaching how and why evolution was true. But he later said, no, that's, that's, that can't be proven scientifically because he was presented with this question. How was the first protein, protein ever assembled without the help of genetic instructions? And you do have to understand a little bit about um, microbiology to grasp the concept of how complex a single cell is. I have a picture here of a single cell that my son Colton, who he is, he was seven when he drew this. So there are, I'm just gonna give you some numbers, that one simple cell requires 42 million protein molecules. And the question presented to, um, to Dean was, how was the first protein ever assembled without the help of a genetic instructions? So in one single cell, let's just say that is Darwin's protoplasmin, in one cell it requires 42 million protein molecules, 42 million and each of those 42 million protein molecules has a set of instructions of how to assemble it. There are 30 trillion simple cells on the human body. So 30 trillion times 42 million protein molecules to create a human. There are 30,000, this is important, there are 30,000 distinct protein molecules 
that form from only 20 amino acids. So if you imagine that you have 20 letters in the alphabet, A through whatever 20 is, <laughs> and they have to form themselves into these complex ladders, let's just call them ladders, and in between the, the ladder rungs are the instructions of how to assemble them, but then you have to make this like a loose ladder that can fold into itself. So there's 20 different letters that form the bars of the ladders, not the rungs in between, but the outside structure holding it together. Those are the amino acids. And they, of those 20 letters, they form 30,000 different protein molecules, different types. So, you know, have you ever seen a movie or whatever where somebody is there and they have, they have the 10 letter keypad and they have to enter in a password and they don't know what the password is so that they hold up this computer that's going to run through all these algorithms to try to figure out what this 10 word, this 10 letter number password is in, you know in one minute so that the bomb doesn't go off or whatever now these movies when they do that there there are i'm pretty sure that if that keypad had 20 letters or 20 numbers like amino acids there are over 1 million possibilities 1 million possibilities of how to form something. If you took 20 letters, 20 Scrabble letters, and threw them on a table, there would be a one in over a million chance that it would form in the right pattern. Let's just to say even one word. It's just a very, very small probability. And to say that these 20 amino acids or these 20 letters just by natural selection, which if you actually read Dawkins' book, he, he gives some type of credence to the intelligence of nature. And so that is kind of their quasi answer without saying it out loud that nature knew, nature knew what it needed. It had this presumptive understanding of what it needed to survive. So it accumulated things that weren't necessarily needed for its survival at that moment, but there was this understanding that there is a complexity to life. And it reminds me of that guy in Jurassic Park where he says, life uh, found a way. <laughs> That's the only way is that there had to be some intelligence in nature for this to happen. But it's in reality just left to a non-intelligent selection for those 20 amino acids to turn into these 30,000 different distinct protein molecules that then would be constructed in a way to form life. 42 million protein molecules in one simple cell. That's not talking about a human, just one simple cell. That is improbable. And the definition really, truly of design, if you went to a beach and you saw letters written on the sand, our under, we would know somebody wrote those letters. Those letters didn't happen naturally. 
because it's a very, very small probability that that particular shape and those particular recognizable patterns and also in an organized structure that communicates something, an actual word, an actual language, that that happened naturally. And that's why we as human beings understand that we can recognize design anywhere in nature. We can recognize design in our bedroom. We can recognize design by a color of paint. There is just a formulation of such minute probability that that would happen naturally that we know that that was designed. So the, ebbs, the obs, observable science, the observable facts that are presented to us would cause us to conclude that there was design in the single cell. Now, that, that uh, illustration of of seeing words on the sand. That's important to understand because they weren't random letters. They, it wasn't random descript scrawlings. It wasn't like there's a footprint in the sand. It was organized, a, spe a specific, this word, a specification of order that can independently be recognized as a pattern. And I want you to remember that a specific specification of order that can independently be recognized as a pattern, for instance, language or instructions. It's something that can be communicated. So when you look deeper into a protein, you see something that looks like rungs of a ladder, right? like I described earlier. And here's a picture of DNA, the DNA. Um, inside of a nucleus. Here's a picture in a science book of a DNA and you can see that it kind of twists and there are rungs on the inside. But those rungs on the inside are four, they, they're four different letters. That's what we've attributed them to, A, T, G, and C. And they tell each amino acid where to go in this ladder chain. Um, if you unroll this chain of amino acids, and remember that it's 20 different, we'll just say letters, 20 different letters that go in different combinations that form this rung, and then they fold up into distinct patterns because of the arrangements and the shapes of the letters that they, they form one of those 30,000 protein molecule. And inside of it, if you unroll the chain, you'll see a DNA sequence of assembly instructions and it would fill a 100 page book per protein. So there's there would be 30,000 100 page books of instruction of out of over 1 million possible combinations. So let's just pause a moment to understand that in our search for intelligent life in other, you know, we shoot out into the universe a series of sequential numbers so that we can maybe get a response from other intelligent life out there that has progressed enough to understand these sequential numbers that they are by design, that they're not just randomly shot out into the universe, but that there is a sequence and there is a pattern. And so it we shoot out into the atmosphere a specific, some numbers 
with a specific order that can be independently recognized as a pattern. And we are hoping that intelligent life out there will see it and will respond in kind saying, hey, wait, there's intelligent life on earth that is so, quote, evolved that they can now communicate to us. And yet we refuse as a large, largely as a society, we refuse to respond to the already obvious communication of an outside intelligence to us. And that intelligence to us was spoken the same exact way, except for it was found in a living cell in the amino acid protein complex. We have numbers and letters designed and communicated in a way to us saying, hey, you down there, now that you have progressed beyond the 1850s and now you're into the 1920s and now you are studying microbiology and chemical, quote, evolution. And now you are intelligent enough to see, wait, there is intelligent life out there and they are the origin of life. We were sent a code. We were sent a language, literally the language of life from an outside intelligence. And with our intelligence, we recognize the pattern. We dissected its meanings and sequence. We see its design to due to the sheer improbability and, spec and specification of order. And the question isn't if there are facts that point to intelligent life outside our galaxy or our universe. The problem lies with not the facts, but the discerning and the ability or willingness to conclude truth from the facts. And if you go back to my very first video where I talk about how facts can be manipulated in a courtroom and we are the jury and we have to look and we would say, based upon the facts, the most probable and likely conclusion is this based upon the facts of life, the very, very language of life, we can see that out there, there is an intelligent life beyond us. Now, whether you draw the conclusion that that intelligent life has religious implications, that is where the rest of this series comes from. But to say that there isn't an intelligence, an intelligent life communicating us through the sequential information of DNA and life and assembly instructions, that it doesn't seem like somebody actually wants to draw a conclusion, a logical conclusion, because they're afraid of the religious implication of that. But I'm not going to judge somebody's motives. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Um, and I did, I read a comment. It wasn't on my post, it was on somebody else's post saying that they just were very dogmatic. There are no facts to support the Bible. Yet in this series, I've listed six videos covering the scientific laws, historical and literary proofs, archeological discoveries, geological evidence, astronomy and, pla and planetary improbabilities that an outside intelligent force and this one the outside intelligent force sending us a sequential code of life to which we can respond my discerning of the facts to interpret truth 
is that there is an abundance of evidence that the Bible is truth with a small bit of educated faith because there's always the question of then where did the designer come from? And that's where I look and I say, well, if the Bible's true and this abundance of evidence points to the verification of scripture, then my faith is going to assume that God exists outside of the universe, outside of time, outside of creation, outside of the energy and the closed science, scientific experiment that he formed. He exists outside of it. How that happened? Beyond me, and that's why it's faith. But it is an intelligent faith. So this is my question to you. If there is intelligent life out there, and you can see their secret messages hidden in DNA, and they're placing our Earth in, quote, just the right location, just right, that Goldilocks planet, to look out and find this intelligent life. And we have an ancient piece of literature chronicling the history of mankind that is verified by outside sources like archaeology. What is keeping you from believing?